Real Cuff Radio is about to begin. Everybody loves a hero. I believe there's a hero in all of us. Welcome to Real Cuff Radio. This evening we have Trey and Leanne Tawell on, who both have been with YWAM for 14 years, and then Seed Company now for the last nine years. They've been working with Chad Africa and Cameroon Africa, but mainly tonight, as well as their ministry, we want to talk to them about how did they ever come into the position of having a family and working with five special needs kids. I know that there are people out there that need hope, encouragement, have questions, so we figured this was definitely the family that could fill us in with some hope and encouragement and what Jesus has done with them. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I don't know where you could even start with this, but Leanne, you were telling me some amazing things when I met you. So if you guys want to just kind of start from the beginning of, I remember you telling me, I don't know if you had had an ultrasound, but you said you had a come to Jesus moment that you just kind of laid it all on the line and so however you want to just start telling your guys' story, feel free. We had two children and were traveling all over the place with YWAM. And the Lord spoke to us about filling our household. And when he did, he also challenged us that our only reasons for not opening our household to more children was fear-related fear of finances, fear of not being able to parent. And he really spoke to me as a mom about the expectations we put on our children of how we want them to live and how we want them to turn out. He really convicted me that he is the one that if I will let go of control and just love my children that my house may be scruffy and it may not be perfect, but if he fills it full of children, it will be full of his love. And so that was our dreamy idea of how this was going to (laughs) go years ago. (laughs) So we were challenged first um, just to trust him with just our own family. And so pretty soon we had Alyssa come along. Um, She was our third child. But then we began uh, feeling that God was really bringing adoption up to our mind. And we had actually gone to Leanne's grandfather's funeral out in West Texas. And I remember at the end of the funeral, we were sitting there in the second row, this family. And, you know, all these cowboys were filing out past past his body, looking down. And and one would stop and he'd start weeping. And and I'd look at Leanne and say, who is that? It wasn't a family member. And she'd say, oh, well, that's so-and-so. And he lived with my grandparents for a while. And then another one would come by, and the same thing would happen. Well, who is that? Well, that's so-and-so. And my grandfather was like a father to him. He didn't have a dad. And this happened three or four times. And I was just really stunned. 
Um, I'd come from a ministry family. My dad was a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor. And I sat there and I just thought, wow, this is pure and undefiled religion to, to visit the widow and orphan in their time of need, to be a father to the fatherless. And I was so struck with what a powerful witness uh, this man's life had been simply because he was a father to the fatherless. And, and over the next few months, Leanne and I were just really challenged in that, going, you know, we're traveling the world with, with YWAM, we're doing ministry all over, but are we, willing, are we willing to do ministry in our own home um, to children in our own home? And that's when we started adopting children. Uh, and so that led us through four adoptions, and, and it was a number of years before we realized that all four of those uh, were special needs. Uh, it wasn't obvious when they were born. Um, and, and so we began to walk through that journey, too. And then our last child, who was born biologically, ended up suffering traumatic brain injury um, a few days after birth. And, and so he's been the most severe of them all. So that's where we ended up with our five special needs children that um, have challenged us in all numbers of ways. I remember, Leanne, you saying that I don't know if you knew he was going to be blind or how that Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. It, it was a very um, interesting thing because the week before he was born, I knew, and I believe very strongly in supernatural healing. I'll just say that. I, I believe in that. I've prayed for that. I've seen people healed. But I woke up startled in the middle of the night a couple of days before he was born, and I knew that he was not going to have a face. And that sounds so strange, but you'll hear why soon. And it was just very specific about a face. And when Jared was born, like four days later, you see me crying because he had a perfect little face. But as we went on through our time of the first couple of days of his life, he started really failing. And we wound up rushing to Tyler and rushing to Mother Frances, and I met them at the door saying, this baby is going to die. And they rushed, rushed him to Dallas. They wouldn't even let me on the helicopter And Trey and I were in the car praying on the way there. And we had these other special needs kids that have issues, but it's nothing as extreme as Jareb's. And as we were driving, I remember resolving in my heart, God, that I will love this baby boy even if he loses everything that I consider valuable in the life of a person as far as as they'll be able to talk and walk. And I just asked God to preserve his precious little life. And I said, Lord, I ask you to enlarge my tent through the prayer of Jabez years ago in having children. Now I ask you to enlarge my heart to understand a child who may never even be able to speak on this earth is still just as valuable as any of our other children. 
and enlarge my heart as his mom to be able to love him and preserve his life. And how did you see uh, the Lord do that? We got to the hospital, and he was rallying, and they really thought on the way that he would die. And we began to just be so grateful that he was alive. And we didn't care. And they kept coming to us saying, this could be wrong, and that could be wrong. And, and in fact, the neurologist, Trace parents, got there right before the neurologist came with the MRI report. And his parents looked at us and precious precious people and said, we are going to love this baby boy and he will have a place. And his dad's confidence in that just meant so much to us. And the neurologist came in to give us the report and he showed us the brain scan and two-thirds of Jerob's brain is damaged. But what you have to know is the biggest part that's damaged is the occipital lobe. And the occipital lobe is in the back of the brain. It's two lobes, and it's how we see and how we process what we see. And the one thing that no child with this impairment, with the loss of this part of their brain, will ever do on this earth, aside from a miracle, is see a face. And when the neurologist told us, he said, you don't have the normal response. And I said, well, of course I don't, because I know that things rewire. And I know from my other children that I've experienced being trained to work with the way for neurons to reconnect. And so I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I know that we're going to do the best we can. I have moms that I'm friends with that have kids with G-buttons and trachs, and we will make the most of this life. And he just could not believe our joy. He, he basically said, I've, I've never seen this. And he was very fascinated with Jerob's name because it's Jeroboam from the Bible. And he, he was just really taken with our joy with raising this little boy. And so when I met you, Julie, I think what I told you that was so incredible is not only has Jerob grown, and he's now seven in September, he does have major issues. But the thing is, we have heaven moments. We have heaven moments where Jerob connects, and he's able to express his love for the Lord. He's able to express his love for us. And those moments are incredible, and they've taken years and years and years of therapy. We've been in now the hospital 14 times, Jerob and I. Three different times. We're five weeks at a time. But what I told you, Julie, is uh, we had just heard Bruce Wilkinson speak on the prayer of Jabez. And we remembered way back, I can see the book on the shelf in my garage, praying that prayer when it came to enlarging our house and enlarging our hearts to have children. Well, he just spoke at the Sea Company retreat. And I went with my husband, and I was planning to just go and just encourage what he's doing. And while I was there, 
he came over to me and we were speaking and he had spoken on coming out of the land of the giants and that when you have a dream there's a seven step process and that sixth process is coming out of the land of the giants and without realizing it as my spirit leapt at the ministry going on in seed company the Lord opened the way for me to join the intercession team, and I'm going to Dallas now once a week to do that. And all of a sudden, I realized in, in Tucson at that retreat that the day of the giants was over and that we were in a place where, no, the circumstances haven't changed. Jerob has three appointments this week alone. But the release of the Lord for what he's done these 10 years of, of really almost silence for me in ministry and quiet for Trey, we're coming out of, and we're coming out of stronger and more confident than ever because of those years and years and years of his faithfulness. Do you think that maybe the giant, was the giant the fear for y'all? going through this or uh... I think yeah I think fear I also think not understanding we have just gotten such a greater understanding by loving these special needs kids at the value of each one of us to bring glory to God on this earth I think we have expectations I mean when Leanne and I married we planned to to go into missions Uh, we did that Uh, we just had in our mind how we were going to serve the Lord uh, with our lives. And how it's turned out is very different. Um, Our hearts um, are still there. The Lord has used us, but not in the ways that we expected, not in the ways that we planned. Um, Our family doesn't look like what we dreamed of, what, what we expected it to be. And so those giants, I think, are our own expectations uh, as to what is going to happen in our lives or how God should move, uh, how he should use us. Uh, And so those expectations have to die, and we have to look for what God does have for us um, that's different. Uh, And and because he's a good God, it's going to be better, but it's not necessarily the ease. It's not um, what everybody else think should be there. Uh, There's difficulty that's there. You know, we just thought if you love God, if you pray hard enough, that the sunshine's always going to come out and you're going to have some sunny days. But I think what our God does is he teaches us how to play in the rain. And that's where we're learning to find joy. It's not just in the sunny days. It's not just when the things are going well and the sunshine's out and and your kids are doing good in school, and everybody's loving on one another, but it's in the midst of the difficulty, there's still joy there. And, and that's our God. And that's what makes Him special. That's what makes life with Him unique, is because it's not dependent on our expectations and the circumstances. And He cries when we cry. The Scripture says that Isaiah 64.9 says, He suffers when we suffer. He feels it. He's not isolated by it. But his joy comes in the morning. 
Blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. And why are we blessed? Because the God of the universe steps in to comfort us. He feels with us. And there's a special joy that's in that. When I look back to those days that Jared was in the, the NICU um, at Children's Hospital in Dallas, I remember Leanne and I standing over his bed, holding one another, not knowing what was going to happen. And looking back on that, that was one of the most intimate times I've ever shared with my wife. Um, it was a horrible time. And yet it was an incredibly bonding time for us. And now we have a child. He, he walks. He talks. For the first couple of years, we didn't know if he would ever be able to say the words, I love you. He didn't, he didn't talk. He couldn't say anything until he was three years old. And so our expectations vastly changed. We went from just expecting a normal, healthy child to just hoping we would have a child that would be able to say, I love you. And so the joy that came when the words came was pretty astounding. But our expectations had to change in the midst of that. Would you, if asked, would you change anything or would you go through the same walk, hindsight, looking back? Would you do it over again? Leanne says yes. I say, I say no. <laughs> I would never choose it. I'd never choose to suffer. Hey, well, I mean, at least you're honest there. It's not always yeah. easy. Yeah, yeah, no, I I would never choose, my natural man would never choose the hard way. Am I thankful? Yes, I'm thankful. Am I blessed by what God has done in my life, in our lives? Yes, I am. But I think few people would ever really just want the hard way. You know, we would rather just have the sunshine come out every day. But... I found a thankfulness in the Lord that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And I have a confidence in the Lord that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Uh, And I have a different outlook on life than I would have otherwise. So I can be thankful for what we've walked through and, and how it's been walked through and what God has done in the midst of it. Um, but that doesn't mean that I've enjoyed the process. And it doesn't mean that I would wish it on myself or anyone else. What are some of these heaven moments that you were talking about, Leanne? Jareb, every once in a while, has a very deep concept understanding. And Christmas, uh, we attend a church downtown, Marvin United Methodist, and um, we had never been to their Christmas service because we weren't here last year for it. And so we were going to it. Well, it was almost like the movies, you know, Home Alone or these movies where you go in and the church is having these giant choirs and on Christmas Eve. And we didn't know that. Everyone else knew that secret but us because we haven't been there. So we got there, and I got there with Jareb. Jareb loves the music at Marvin. It's a wonderful orchestra, wonderful uh, choir director, and they really include Jareb in all of the music. And we got there and came in the church, and to our shock, the entire church was packed. And I thought, oh, Lord, help us. (laughs) 
he gets very frustrated. He's autistic, and he gets very frustrated in a giant crowd. And he just stayed calm because he so wanted to be in the service. And we sat very near the front row, and we're talking, you know, hundreds of people in the pews, and there's nowhere else to sit. And the rest of the family was somewhere else, because we'd come in and we're going to meet them. Well, there was no hope of that because you're hundreds of people and we weren't getting over, you know, the other side to them. So we sat there and he just sat and listened to the music and had such a long attention to listen. And he listened to the readings between and the scriptures. And then they started communion. And they usually do communion at the front, at the altar. And this time they were doing communion in the pews. And communion starts and the usher walks up to the side of me and Jerob's on the other side of me. And Jerob turns and says, Mom, I want to take communion. Well, you have to know Jerob has a food aversion. And we've been in the hospital three times, five weeks at a time because he doesn't accept odd taste or textures of any kind on a normal basis and so I thought is he really going to do this you know it's grape juice and and bread and he doesn't eat bread and I thought oh my goodness and he took the communion and he said Jesus died for me mom and I was just astounded because he never sat that long. And for him to understand what the pastor was saying about communion. And at that moment, I knew this is a heaven moment. This is who Jared will be in heaven. We'll be worshiping God together. And so in our home, one of the ways we say it is two-thirds of his brain is damaged. So two-thirds of the time he struggles. But one-third of the time, we get incredible time with him. And those heaven moments are the times that there's no way on this earth he has figured out or or figured out a way to say or do those things because they go completely against what he would normally do. And so the nurses and I have two wonderful nurses that both love the Lord. We call them heaven moments. When Jerob asks questions or he wants to set through or push through something like that, it's heaven moments because it's past what he really can do on this earth. That's amazing. That is a definite heaven moment. I can see what you're talking about there. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now I think I'd like to switch gears and... uh, Trey, your wife told me that, I'm going to probably get some of this wrong, but there was something that happened in, let's see here, it might have been Chad, Africa. There were five generals in an, I want to call it, uh, do you remember, Leanne, when you were telling me about the stuff that was happening there on, they were going to have battles? Which, what did you tell her? The tape recordings. Tape recordings. Yeah. When they listen to the tape recordings. So, okay, so I work with 
Bible translations that are going on in Africa. Uh, primarily, this is being done by nationals, by national churches. Uh, we've in Cameroon, we worked with churches that have been present basically for a hundred years. Over a hundred years ago, the missionaries first came in. But there are dozens and dozens of uh, churches that have never had the the Word of God in their own language. So we can all see the value of having the Scripture in a language you can understand. But in Chad, we're working in languages that um, don't have believers and that are um, closed to Christianity. And so there were several national missionaries that had been working for a number of years in these language communities that that didn't have any Christians and weren't open to Christianity. And so we knew that they wouldn't receive any written scripture. They, They would just push that aside. They didn't want it. And so we began producing oral translations. Uh, These are oral cultures. They're not like us. When we tell a story, we might mix up the names or mix up some of the facts in order to, you know, say a more dynamic story. But in oral cultures, they hold true to it. That's how they pass down their history. That's how they pass down their values. And so rather than taking the time to develop a written language, we just started uh, with an oral translation, staying true to the scripture. Well, one of the missionaries, national missionaries, still, even though he learned these oral stories, he couldn't find anyone to share it with. They, they didn't want to hear it from him. They knew he was a Christian. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. So he had these that were actually recorded, um, and he would take those in the evening, and he would play them for his family. That's the recordings is how he memorized the, the stories himself. And every night he would play these for his family. Well, after a period of time, the, the family knew the stories and, and they stopped listening. And then over the next couple of days, he, he started running into people in town or in the marketplace. And, and they were his neighbors and they were asking, so what happened to those stories that you would listen to in the evenings? And finally it dawned on him that even though they wouldn't listen to him tell the stories, they were listening to the recordings through the open windows. And so people had secretly been listening to the Bible stories. And that became the foundation uh, for him to begin to have conversations about Christ and and the truth of the scriptures and, and what that meant. And so that was just a surprise ending to, uh, or I guess a surprise beginning to the first time uh, for his ministry to have to have fruit. Uh, in which people were open to discussing. And and there are Christians now there that have never been there before. Great story. I also like the one she was talking about where Jesus appeared to the five generals that were coming up to invade. Right. said, why are you uh, persecuting? Yeah, I'm going I'm to let her tell the story because she'll probably okay. get the details. I will. Yeah, it was five um, militants, and they were planning to go and raid uh, another country. They were on the way to do that, and they had 2,500 soldiers with them. 
turned out that those soldiers and militants were mainly from one tribe and one language, in other words. And the, the, the five that were leading, one of them began to have questions about Jesus. And so he knew about a man that had been talked about that would share about these Jesus stories, and he knew he could get his cell phone. So he called him and asked him if he would come talk to him about the good news of Jesus. And the man immediately felt a red flag because he lives in a country where you can, you know, die instantly for being a believer. So he certainly wasn't going to be unwise and walk into a trap. So he, he basically said, no, um, I can't come. And, of course, then he prayed about it, but he thought that would be the end of it. Well, the militant uh, leaders had planned where they were doing their attack, and they were having to go through brush and bushes to get there. And so the five of them were leading five different trails. And every trail... Um, they were leading, then they had militants behind them following them out of these 2,500. So they were all divided up. And so all five of them, within a short time, came out of the bush and brought the militants back because they had all been startled by something. And it turns out all five of the head leaders had had a vision of a man in a white robe come down and basically say, why are you persecuting me? And it was, it was, it was the embodiment of Jesus before them. And they were all floored because all five of them had had the same exact vision, the leaders. And so they called the man again and said, no, we really mean it. Please come. Please come talk to us. So this man that they're talking about getting a hold of actually is a pastor and an evangelist and a wonderful speaker. But as he came, the Holy Spirit told him not to speak, not to preach, because it turns out this man had, he's from the same language, and he had the completed translation in his hand of their heart language Bible. And so instead of preaching like he would normally do, he outlet, wasn't it the book of, I think it was the book of Philippians, and he read the entire book to all of them, and every one of them became a believer. That's a great story. So that has all come forth through this uh, seed company and their efforts in getting the Bible produced in other languages, right? The, that particular story is is not specifically a seed company story. It's just a story um, that shows the power of the written word when it's in the, the mother tongue, the language that people know best. Well, I think it's a good story, too, because when we were talking 
not only about that, but we were talking about, you know, all the negative things that we hear, ISIS and, you know, this horrible thing is happening and that horrible thing is happening. It's so wonderful to hear, no, Jesus still is alive, working and manifesting himself, even in these dangerous situations where obviously changed that whole 2,500 people's lives right there, plus saved the people that they were coming in to attack. So I thought that's that right. Was, yeah. So often we don't hear that side of the story. We just no, heard we don't the, hear it at all. That's uh, we I hear the calamity. Saying. We hear about the, the massacres. We hear, but we don't hear what God's doing in the midst of that. And, you know, God's bigger than that. It's God's not wringing his hands in heaven, wondering what he's going to do. But, right, and that story that Leanne just told, you know, 2,500 rebel soldiers just gave their hearts to the Lord. And so God is, and it was through, it was through his word. It wasn't through preaching. It wasn't through a message. And I think that's what we find so unique there is the power of the written word. And we just take that for granted here in the U.S. Um, you know, I was just going through the garage um, moving books around and counting how many different translations you know we have and and that's so easy for us it's so it's so normal for us but there's another story there's a bible that was just finished uh we did the dedication for it back at the end of november of this last year the man's name that really instigated that translation his name was leo and third 40 40 years ago now leo had been asked by his priest if he would translate the Easter story um, in order to read it on Easter Sunday. And so Leo did that all week long. Uh, normally it was read in French, but this was going to be the first time that they were going to read it in the language Yambeta, which was the heart language of the people. So Leo stood up in the service. He read the Easter story. And, and he noticed that the, the attention was just focused on him during this time. Normally people would be wrestling or not, not paying a lot of attention, but they were. he had their attention. And at the end of the service, he said, the old women of the church surrounded me. And they all came and badgering me and sticking their fingers in me and saying, where, where did you get this story? And he said, oh, mothers, this is the same story that you hear every Easter Sunday. And they said, no, no, we've never heard this story before. Where did the story come from? And they were just demanding to know where this incredible story had come from. And so as they were talking, he reached in his pocket and he pulls out his little French New Testament. And he holds it up to them to say, this is where the story came from. But as he did, he realized they've been there every Sunday their entire lives. And yet they've never understood the Easter story because it had always been read in French before. And sure, they had French in school for those who attended school, but they had never heard it in their heart language. And at that moment, he thought, this is what I have to do. I have to see the word of God translated into my language so these people, so these children can understand. And so he began that journey. And he began getting training and working on it and trying to get others to help. Um, but he struggled to do this. Uh, he'd struggled to do it for 30 years. And then 10 years ago is when he uh, encountered the seed company. So we were able to begin a partnership with Leo and with the Embedded people. 
to order in order to further their training, in order to pay others to help Leo, to um, to come around him, and over the last ten years, um, we've gone through um, and helped him complete. He he only had uh, he had less than thirty percent of the New Testament completed when he met us, and that was really just the draft. Uh, we went through and we were able to help him complete the remaining seventy percent in 10 years and take it all the way through to the publishing so that the community actually dedicated it this last November. So the difference in what we were able to do with Leo was he'd spent 30 years doing 30%. We stepped in and in 10 years, we were able to help him finish the other 70%. And so that's the power of partnership that we have the ability uh, to do. And so now they can stand up, multiple churches stand up every Sunday now and read scripture in the embedded language for the first time. You know, uh, my grandmother always said, many hands make light work. That's a perfect yeah. example. <laughs> you can That's get right. more done with more hands and, and so forth. You know, and it is hard for us to even comprehend this because having the English language, like you said, and how many translations we already have translated, it's just amazing that there's still out there like like this one they didn't have it in their own language that's right and we are at an unprecedented time uh here in the history of the world and that we are doing more uh, translations per year than ever before when we joined the seed company uh, nine years ago uh, we were working with a number of that there were around 2500 languages that were totally void of scripture 2,500, there's 7,000 languages, more than 7,000 in the world, but there were about 2,500 left that didn't have any scripture whatsoever in their language. That was nine years ago. Today, the number is down to around 700. And that's just, that's amazing. That's remarkable progress. And, and our goal is that by the year 2025, we would have work begun in all of the remaining languages. And, and won't that be a day for heaven to rejoice in when there's scripture available in every language on earth? I believe he's going to do it. You know, Amen. Bring it. Um, and we will be sure to have your information posted, too, so the listeners, if they have any questions, uh, websites, so forth, that they want to look up pertaining to all of this, that would be wonderful. Todd, yeah, do you be- have any questions? Well, a couple of things, but the first thing I was going to say about what you were just talking about is when somebody supports your ministry, I mean, look at, look at how many people are being reached that never, never would have been reached. Yeah, that's right. Imagine, I mean, imagine, you can, um, there are churches who adopt a whole Bible. Um, there are people that adopt a whole Bible to, to fund it, couples, uh, families that will adopt it and say, this is, this is going to be our language. Um, you can, there, there are churches that go in and they'll adopt a book of the Bible and say, uh, you know, we'll assign a verse of Scripture and you can go put your name by that verse of Scripture and say, you know, this is what I helped translate in this language. And we've boiled it all the way down to saying, on average, a verse of Scripture costs about $33 uh, 
um, in order to translate. And so we have people that join on at $33 a month, and they know that every month they're paying for a verse of Scripture. So like adopt a child, this is adopt a verse. And the, the joy of that is that you can pass this on. You know that you're not just making an impact in one life. You are making an impact in thousands of lives who are going to be able to hear the Scripture in their language that have never heard it before, and that's going to be passed down through the generations. It, it's an incredible return. Uh, and we're looking for, for people, yes, who want to help fund it. We're looking for prayer, um, for people who want to invest in prayer. Um, and that is absolutely crucial. You know, there can be no assumption that this work goes easily. You know, this is providing the Word of God for people who don't have it. And don't think the enemy just sits by and, and twiddles his thumbs while that's going on. Um, it, is, it is an uphill battle um, for this to happen. Um, you know, we, we struggle with the translators, with illness, with, with family troubles, um, with we have talking about resistance armies we have um in cameroon we have the boko haram who steps in and does raids there's you know civil wars there's on and on and on electricity it becomes it becomes uh, there's difficulty after difficulty that occurs and yet our translators have their minds set on the goal they know what they're headed for and their lives are transformed as they work on the Word of God. As they put the Word of God into their mother tongue, their lives really can't help but be transformed as they dig down deep into the Word. And so that's an opportunity for us to come alongside them uh, in this journey in seeing really community transformation is really what it ends up in as they embrace the Scripture uh, for the first time. Okay, and then I also wanted to mention... If you had not had the first three kids that you were dealing with, would you have been able to handle the when your you know last child was born? Because didn't that oh. kind of build you? You know, I mean, you already saw God doing stuff in their lives, and they were already special needs, and and then yeah, yeah, you know, I think I think you're right, and I think Leanne even alluded to that when she was talking of saying when the neurologist came in to to give us the gloomy report that he did um, that's really what we grabbed hold of is saying you know we've seen God be faithful with our family needs with the needs of our special with our the needs of our special kids so we knew based on what he'd already done in our family that he would be faithful to this one as well and so we were ready to dig in and to see God do that once again. And, and I do think that is a place that we continue to grow in in life of seeing opportunities when difficulty comes. It's an opportunity for God to work. It's an opportunity to show himself faithful. You know, with, with Jerob's name, Leanne mentioned his name uh, is based on the name of Jeroboam. Jeroboam is not someone you want to model your life after. But when we were praying about his name, I very specifically felt that God gave me the name Jerob Judah. Uh, So that's his first and middle name. Jerob and Judah were basically on opposite sides. Uh, Rehoboam was the one who um, was ready to take the throne. He was Solomon's son. 
Um, and the prophet came and took Jeroboam aside and said, uh, no, you're going to become God's anointed uh, to take the kingdom. And so it created a civil war, basically. Well, Judah was the largest tribe. It was the only, well, it was the tribe that stayed with Rehoboam, uh, is what the scripture said. So we had Jerob on one side, and we had Judah on the other side. Now, that, that sounds like a contradictory name, but what I felt like the Lord said was going to the meaning of the name for Jerob Judah. And if you take those two names together and put them together, the, the Hebraic meaning of it is, let the people be multiplied who praise the Lord. And that's the meaning of Jerob's name. That was given to me during a political election year. And everybody was looking towards the right leader, the perfect leader, the perfect circumstance. And yet what I felt like the Lord was saying was, that's not what we need as a nation. What we need is for the people to be multiplied who praise the Lord. And I believe, uh, although Jerob's life is different than what I thought it was going to be at the time when he was still in the womb, we hadn't even seen his face yet, that his life is going to be that, of one giving testimony to God's faithfulness in circumstances that are far less than ideal. But our hope is not in our circumstances. Our hope is in the faithfulness of our God. And so let the people be multiplied who praise the Lord, who see God's faithfulness and see what God does. Well, your story reminds me about an interview that we did a while back. Well, at least his testimony, Thurman Scribner. I don't know if you've ever heard him, but, you know, his granddaughter ended up, her brain stem was completely severed. And mm. they, they said, well, you know, she will never, she'll never see. She'll probably never even be able to come off. To the, you know, now I think she's 16 or 17 years old, and you would never know anything even happened to her. And, wow. uh, and she does see, and she does, but uh, incredible. He, he says it was his biggest test. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, even, even with Jared, he had an MRI done this year. And they said that every region of his brain has suffered damage. And so we came away from that looking at this child and going, he shouldn't be able to walk. He shouldn't be able to talk. It's just absolutely remarkable. A happy boy, joyful. Um, yeah, he wants to be a semi-driver and uh, be a preacher. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, who knows? Who knows what God's going to do with him? What a blessing. Well, Trey and Leanne, I want to thank you for your time. This has been marvelous. I appreciate you um, telling your testimony and, and all the things. So Privileged to yeah. be with you. Well, that's a wrap. All right. All right. Thank, thank you, guys.
Generation. 